Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hey everyone, Seth Meyers here. A week from today is election day and before America votes on November 3rd, we here at Late Night wanted to reflect on how the last five years of politics have shaped our work and our lives. Now I'm going to turn things over to field producer, Amanda Cowper to lead the conversation. Take it away, Amanda. Hi, I'm Amanda Cowper, and welcome to the second of three special episodes of the Late Night Podcast that we're calling Late Night Political Party. On this episode, I'm speaking to members of our production staff about what a difference four years can make. We're going to look back at our extraordinary time preparing sketches for the 2016 election and then share how late night shift towards political comedy has coincided with the real life social and political activism for myself and my coworkers. Here's our conversation. So I am joined here today by two of my all-time favorite people who I happen to have been working with for many years. Uh, could you please introduce yourselves? I'm Ellen Waggett, and I am the production designer of Late Night with Seth Meyers and The Amber Ruffin Show. Hold for applause. And Mike? <laughs> I'm Mike Carnell. I'm the staff director, and I'm a writer as well uh, on the show, and I direct all the pre-tips. All right, let's go back to fall of 2016. Mm. Uh, in mid-October, before the November election, the show traveled down to Washington, D.C. to do a week of shows at the Warner Theater. This was the first time that uh, Late Night had gone on the road, which was a fitting occasion given Seth's popularity with A Closer Look and all of his news commentary. And in preparation for that, the three of us took probably a dozen train rides to D.C. A lot of DC. train trips. Lot, I got my we, points in. <laughs> that's where Amanda and I got our points in. That's where Amanda and I became yeah. friends, was on those train trips. We bonded <laughs> so hard over, I don't know, Miller Lights. Yeah. I think it was Miller Lights. It's so crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that's how we really, that really bonded our friendship forever, I think. So we took that many train trips because we were scouting and filming two field pieces in preparation for the week of shows. So the first one that we did was with Seth and Michelle Obama at Howard University. And the conceit of this was we had students come in thinking that they were going to get college advice from Seth, but they were surprised by the first lady. So let's talk about this. And the biggest stressor of this shoot was that we couldn't tell anybody that Michelle Obama was coming. 
right? It was very stressful. And even the people at Howard University. Exactly. Remember, they got very oh, grouchy and they with knew. Us they put it together. Totally at some point, they're her. like, you're lying about something. Oh, <laughs> it was the worst feeling to have to be lying to these people who knew we were lying. We had to pretend that Michelle Obama's people were part of our production staff. Right. right. Oh, and that's what happened is they recognized them and they were like, we're all in D.C., you idiots. We know who yeah. they are. The, the yeah. biggest, craziest moment for me where, unfortunately, for about an hour, they thought Seth Meyers was the biggest diva in the world. Um, <laughs> so it was less than an hour before we were meant to shoot, and Seth was coming from the White House with Michelle, and the elevator broke. Now, we were only shooting on the second floor, but in the security sweep, Michelle could only, Michelle, Mrs. Obama, the first lady, uh, could only come in the elevator. She couldn't go upstairs. So when the elevator broke, I was like, I don't know how to get her to set anymore because it's not possible. So I'm begging them like on my hands and knees, like, please, can someone please fix the elevator? And they were like, Seth can't walk up one flight of stairs. This is a grown, healthy man. (laughs) No, he can't. He's got bad legs, okay? He's got to take the elevator. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe I said like, oh, he he sprained his ankle last week. I don't know what I had to say, but I was like, please, please fix the elevator. And they did. They did. The gentleman who was upset was rightfully upset. I would be so mad if a bunch of people came into my work and and lied to me. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Well, besides being big fat liars, were there any other other highlights from the shoots, uh, you know, this kid's reaction working with Michelle. Oh, totally. I mean, she is amazing and wonderful and awesome. And just being in her presence is always so inspiring, I find. But it was especially, I think, for all of us who were in the room when it all happened, just watching those kids be surprised by her. It gives me chills still just thinking about it. I enjoyed seeing Seth after the first lady was revealed and then people not only like focusing on her and Seth being like, hey, what's up? Like, it was very fun to see them. Like him still trying to do our comedy bits when this person was just like, no, I'm meeting a hero of mine. And we're like, okay, so back to the um, comedy bit that we were doing. It was was fun to like try to work that in. Did you feel nervous? Had you ever directed a bigger star at that point? I mean, is there maybe a bigger star? I knew that we had such limited time and that we only had one shot at it. It's not like I was going to give her notes or anything. I was really just worried that like, the. I remember being super, really mainly concerned about the surprise not being blown. That is always a funny thing too, isn't it? When you, especially with people in the government who have these huge security details and security becomes the most important thing. We're used to working in a certain way and Every single thing we do becomes secondary to what the security detail requires. So speaking of security, we ended up going to the most secure place in our nation, to the Pentagon. We went there with Seth, and he got a tour from the Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter. The Ash Carter. (laughs) The Ash Carter. I know, Ellen, that this was a particularly meaningful shoot for you, and it was also a particularly challenging shoot for all of us. What was your experience going to the Pentagon? For me, I really have not had very much interaction with anybody from the military ever in my life. And so I certainly had preconceived notions of what we were going into. And they certainly had preconceived notions of what a group of people coming in to shoot a comedy bit for late night TV were going to be like. And I am happy to say that I think we both really proved each other wrong in that I think we were very skeptical of each other. And then it really was, it really went so well. And we had such fun together. 
But it's crazy in retrospect because we saw it during a different administration and different people were there. And um, the people that we met, none of them are there anymore. And their priorities have changed a lot, I think. Um, I don't know if this happened with your crew as well, Carnell, but I know with my crew when we went in, they had packed you know, their normal stagehand gear, which includes box cutters and exacto knives and all kinds of stuff <laughs> in there. Lots of cutting yeah, lots tools. Of, there are a lot of cutting tools that we needed, <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't realize they were in their kits. And so trying to go through security at the Pentagon, I mean, even getting to the security line, right, is a huge deal. You have to be on all these lists. and. Yeah. We had to think everything through because normally, I mean, there hasn't been a shoot that's ever existed where there's not like last minute additions or last minute changes. And so to not be able to do that was interesting. I just thought it was like surreal to be in the most secure place ever building a man cave in like a spare room and hanging up a portrait of the secretary of defense with like muscles and like putting all like fake props. Like we had a big display of like what they claimed was Osama bin Laden's pogs. <laughs> yeah, it was like a fake museum and there's Osama bin Laden's pogs. And I'm just like, I'm surprised that the military is letting us make all these jokes I and bring all these things in. I completely forgot about the pogs. We also like couldn't look out the windows. Hold on, we couldn't shoot out the windows. We couldn't like film out the windows. Yeah, we couldn't okay. like show the windows in the frame. Yeah. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't put horse <laughs> blinders on us and we're like, don't any of you look out the window. Let me make one thing clear. No looking out the window. <laughs> but they were like, you can't, put, you can't put any video online that shows, even if it's blown out like in a frame because someone will download it and expose it and they'll be able to like be, figure out what room is what. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. On the producer side, the, my biggest thing was they made us turn in our cell phones before we walked inside. And for oh, a producer, yeah. doing a shoot without a cell phone is sort of like just doing the whole thing left-handed. And you had to be entirely present. You know, you're in front of the most disciplined, smartest <laughs> people like on earth. Running around. Who also, did you find them to be humorous? Mike, yes. did you find like, because you worked with Ash and a couple but of Everyone you know, had a really, I think because we also, the writers of the piece and Seth in general kind of leaned into letting them have a dry sense of humor. We didn't ask too much of them. We just let them be deadpan and dry. And I think they did really well. I think there's like a scene in the beginning where he's in a waiting room with all the branches of the military, but all four of them like improved with Seth and like did a scene with him. Ash Carter, like on one take, they were each eating Greek food and Seth asks for sauce. And we set them up on purpose on like the longest table they had. And in one take, he slid the sauce all the way across the table and landed it perfectly. And I was very impressed by that. Those are the, some fun, fun moments. The sauce was a real highlight for me. <laughs> well, and you know, another thing about this shoot, interestingly, it was so much security to get in there and you're so safe when you're there. But in a weird way, I would say the security didn't constrain us in the way that, like I was saying with, with Mrs. Obama, how security dictates everything. Once we got in there, we could do whatever we wanted, you know? I was running around like a maniac. It was great, you know, like they, so we didn't have to make any choices, I would say, based on security, except for the windows once we were yes. in there. So then we did our week of shows in DC and then we came back and on election day, we did a shoot that will like forever be one of my favorite shoots we've ever done, which was... The dog one? Oh. No. <laughs> no. I love the dog one. We also made a, do a, a video that was from the perspective of the Obama's dogs and not enough oh. people watched it and it was a good video. 
and it got it was caught up in the election cycle and it was good. We shot that in New York before the election. But on election day, yes. my my favorite shoot uh, was Victory Videos, mm. which was uh, a series of vignettes of people who were about to do something dramatic and then Hillary Clinton wins the election and they do something different. And if you remember at that point, Hillary Clinton was favored to win. Almost like right now. So basically in all of these vignettes, there was a TV screen and that's where they saw that Hillary won. And so like a guy was about to move to Canada and he saw that she won and he decided not to leave. A woman was on her deathbed and I think flatlined and then Hillary won. So yeah, so we're going to put the footage and post of her winning. Obviously she didn't win. And so the piece never aired. Yes. My favorite scene that we shot was these Dickensian orphans who were making MAGA hats in like an Oliver Twist. Sweatshop. Yes. Yes. People don't understand the work that Ellen and her department put into these sets because it truly was a like (laughs) sweatshop. A (laughs) full like old school like English like sweatshop. It was crazy. Crazy, because that set was a bunch of kids making MAGA hats, like covered yep. in coal for some reason. <laughs> like it was like a bunch of kids <laughs> making MAGA hats, and then Lutz was also going to hang himself, which I'm like, I wonder if that would have made the oh, cut. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was a nod to Shawshank. Yeah, instead of Brooks is here, it was Lutz was here, and then our last shot of the day oh, was we God. went off site and we um, filmed the kids all like they were free because Hillary won. <laughs> so sad. And that has that has haunted me literally for four years, just for the record. And they, yeah, they run screaming in excitement down the street. Because they're free. Did you have any premonitions of what was going to happen that day while we were shooting? And that was a big shoot. I kind of just assumed she was going to win, like I think everybody. And then I kind of put it out of my mind because I had a job to do. And so I wasn't even really checking my phone until well into the night at like nine o'clock. And you were in edit at that point because we were going to air it the next day, right? But like I'm editing, I'm looking at, there's like Democracy Plaza is spray painted on the damn ice rink at 30 Rock. So I'm watching them also like take down Democracy Plaza And at like 10 o'clock, me and the editor, he has it on on mute. And I'm like, wait, what? What's happening? But what? And uh, we look at the TV and they're just like calling it. And I'm just like, stop editing the video. Like, I'm going to go home. And that was that. And I went home. Oh, so you didn't even finish it that night. We were like in a good place, like for editing, you know, to keep going. And I was like, that's enough. But in a bad place personally. Yeah. Pretty upset. Uh, pretty <laughs> damn upset. And, and about to get worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And But that video, even though the nation didn't see it, there yes. was one live audience that did end up seeing it. Mike, you were there yes. that night? The writers do like a UCB. I think it's a monthly show where we do like rejected sketches and we'll just read them. And that time we, I was like, hey, I have this video that, <laughs> that no one's seen. Can I play the video? And it's truly like maybe two weeks after the election, pretty raw in America still, uh, pretty raw stuff. And so I introduced the video the same way you did, Amanda. I was like, we shot this the day of. We have all these blank TV screens with tracking marks on them where we were going to put footage of her winning. It's not there, but we just want to show you the video anyway. And so it's like this video that plays and it's when you actually see it with a score and then they're looking and it's a TV screen with tracking marks, it's so depressing. Mm-hmm. It's the most depressing thing. <laughs> and so, was everyone uh, crying by the end? Well, the lights went up and everyone was crying, including the writers, including Brian Donaldson, who was like, great job, man, and like was crying. 
<laughs> it was the saddest shit ever. Like an audience of UCB people crying. <laughs> it's one of my favorite memories. I was like, at least somebody got to see all of our hard work. And we clearly did a good job because we made a bunch of like kids cry. So (laughs) (laughs) how many times has Mike said that sentence to me? (laughs) We got to make those kids cry. If we're not making the kids cry, then what's the point? Yeah. Then why are we working at this comedy show? Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to jump ahead to what life has been like in 2020 for our team. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara especially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. So we just talked about what it was like to experience our show's shift to political comedy and all the wild stories that happened around it. But we also wanted to bring in the perspective of someone who's only been working on the show during the Trump years. Uh, We're joined by Justin McGriff, who uh, only started working with us a couple years ago, but has quickly amassed many important responsibilities. Justin, could you describe what you do for Late Night? Hi. Um, (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, What do I do for late night? A bunch of things, I'd say. Right now, I am technically the audience coordinator, so that's fun. There really aren't. R.I.P. audiences. I do miss them. (laughs) But while I'm not not coordinating the audience, I am also working on the Amber Ruffin show, which is really cool, too. Um, so I'm kind of splitting my time between both and it's it's been really fun, yeah. Download Peacock, everybody. Download Peacock, <laughs> watch the show. Yeah, it's free. Will you tell us a bit about Amber's show, how you came to work on it, her staff is, and everything is, you know, different right now. Yeah, so obviously it's it's a new show, so it's been really cool seeing how it's created and how what it's like launching a new show is really, really cool. But obviously most of it is happening remotely for a lot of our writing staff and a lot of people that work on the show also. In the office right now, there's not that many people here, obviously. Um, and when we first started, a lot of it was remote from home. So it's it's really interesting seeing like our writing staff, who I've only seen on Zoom, and they're all all remote. And then working with people who are, are <laughs> you never see their face, but you're getting constant calls on the phone. So that's been really interesting as well. <laughs> so it's been really, really strange, I guess, getting a new show off the ground and it being during a pandemic from my experience. Um, But everyone that works on the show is so great. Our writing staff is hilarious. Amber and Jenny are the funniest people ever. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's honestly been a great part of this kind of tragic year, I'd say. I agree. And it's gone so smoothly and so well. And I bet Justin has a lot more to do with that than he would ever let on. But I know he is like the hub. Hell yeah. (laughs) links everybody together. He won't say that, but I can say that. I was around when we started late night and how I know how intense it is, but really like being surrounded by TV screens that are showing what TV screens are showing right now and like working on a political comedy show where, you know, Amber's always making comments about what's happening, you know, socially, politically. Has that had any impact on 
you on on the staff. How are you? How are you? <laughs> yeah, doing, how you doing? <laughs> I will say I had a, a brief stint working in news, and that was like, it's always just like horrible things in the news right in front of you, screens all around you, and just constant breaking news, breaking news, this happened, that happened. Um, so getting the chance to move from that into a comedy show was great. You're still getting news, but it's a lighthearted take on what's happening, which definitely <laughs> helps. Uh, working on Amber's show and working on Late Night 2 are both great, too, because you, you know what's happening. You're getting all the news that's happening, but... It's kind of like the thought that's inside of your head of, of how you're kind of taking it in is, is just put onto a screen. <laughs> so that is, that's great too, yeah. It makes it a little bit easier, but of course, you know, not fun things are constantly happening in this world. Don't you also feel like, I bet we all feel this in one way or the other, that one of the real great things about working on both shows, on Amber's show and Seth's show, is that I know we're all really politically engaged, personally, and it allows you to focus every second that you're at work on trying to make changes and get a voice out that you believe in. And I think that's been really amazing for all of us. So as hard as it is to be surrounded by, like you said, Amanda, the screens of just constantly when we're at work, you know, you can't get away from all these things that are happening. But at the same time, you can't get away from it and you have to kind of face it and really come up with a strong point of view and really it motivates you to make change. Yeah. And you brought up a good point that all of us are kind of outside of work, sort of activated citizens. You know, when the pandemic happened, you know, we're the field team and there's nothing more opposite <laughs> from the field than having to sit at home. <laughs> than quarantine. <laughs> yeah, than quarantine. So it, Yeah, I was like, I guess we could shoot these over Zoom. Sure. And that's what we've done. We have been doing a lot of Zoom shoots. Yeah, um, let's do some Zooms. <laughs> but what have you guys, we'll start with you, Ellen. What have you been doing this pandemic sort of in your personal life outside of the show that aligned with your activated goals. So I own a cheese store. It's in Chatham, New York. And unbelievably, it was very much an essential business in upstate New York. And as all of the stores in that area, in that very rural area, were really decimated, there wasn't much stuff to buy. And we had distribution already set up. And we had sales streams already set up. And all of our distributors distribute to restaurants. So they suddenly didn't have anybody to sell to and had tons of food that they needed to move. And we were in a community that needed food. We became a grocery store basically overnight. And so you could call or go online and we would pack food. And we just had box after box after box after box of food going cool. out all day, every day. We started making big donations every week to the local food banks and to the local public schools because they really needed that support. And so we're still nice. there. We're still donating every week. But that's what I did. Great. Justin, you moved into Manhattan like right at the beginning of the pandemic, which is uh, a rough time. Very well timed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good job. Time. Good yeah. timing. I moved during the, the, the height of the pandemic, the week where they were like, don't go outside. I was like, cool. <laughs> I'm going to move. Yeah, I, I'm, that, I'm that person. I want to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a wise decision, but, you know, it happened and, and <laughs> we made it through. So, Mike, <laughs> you, uh, how are you spending? I know that I actually know how you were spending uh, a lot of we this quarantine because we talk a lot and uh, you were doing a lot of protesting. In fact, there was an yeah. intense few weeks where I would text you because uh, Mike and I are basically work spouses. 
I would text you every morning to do a wellness check to see if you were safe and or arrested (laughs) from the night before. (laughs) There was one day where I had gotten out of jail and then like forgot that I had to record a video with Amber and I had to like text her and be like, I don't have a voice right now. I don't know. Um, So it was like, so yeah, it was pretty wild times, but you know, I had to be out there. How many times were you arrested at protests this summer? Oh, just twice. Uh, and all charges drops, I would like to mention for anyone listening. Oh, all charges great. are dropped. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. Yes. Um, and are you still doing protesting or activism work with BLM? Yeah. Yeah. I've also been doing like some volunteer work with a really cool spot in Bushwick. Um, also just trying to do more mutual aid stuff. So like community fridges and stuff like that. And, you know, the winter is going to be rough. Uh, yeah. It's a rough time. So... I think a lot of people are feeling activated and I myself realized that I was activated, but I wasn't like focused. I was kind of like scatterbrained and it went, and if a cause or something like got me, then I would go. And it's, I think people are starting to realize that you kind of have to be more focused and that kind of will help you, uh, at least for me, like stay on track and stuff. So that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, yeah, I met I met Mike out a couple times. Uh, I, I've been out, but um, I also got COVID-19. <laughs> which took me two months to get over fully. So that's how I spent my summer vacation uh, (laughs) at late night. So I was very grateful to be able to work from home. Uh, I'm clean as a whistle now. No residual anything. You're walking definitely. around maskless. You're just going everywhere. No, You're no. Oh, my God. No, never. Never. <laughs> Even though I have so many antibodies, I am like, so, so many. I'm donating plasma left and right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got sick uh, about three weeks after we left the office. So right when it was kind of the scariest because... I was going to say when it was super scary. Yeah. When, so it was really, the whole city was quiet except for ambulances. Except for you moving and some ambulances. That was it. That was literally it. Yeah. So we've had quite a year, but I, you know, I think the audience could hear the energy in our voices about being excited about this election and what the future can hold and about this new show with Amber, who we are so excited. We are so excited for this new voice. Fun Auntie, number one sketch. Which Watch one? Fun Auntie if you're out there. Fun Auntie, it's a great <laughs> sketch. Auntie. That's Amber Ruffin show. <laughs> I'm plugging Fun Auntie over here, Amber. Make sure you know. Tell Amber I'm plugging it. And don't look up Seth doing Fun Auntie because you're not going to find <laughs> <You won't>. it. <laughs> That's a no result. Yeah. <laughs> Ellen, Mike, Justin, and Amanda, we put the party in political party. Yeah. Yep. Thank you guys so much much so that's a look back at some of the political comedy remotes we produced on late night and a lot of the fun we've had i want to say thanks to our amazing production team ellen waggett mike carnell and justin mcgriff i'm amanda cowper thank you for joining us for this edition of late night political party and remember the election is just one week away please make a plan to vote Late Night with Seth Meyers airs weeknights on NBC at 1235, 1135 Central. Don't forget to follow the handle Late Night Seth on social media and tell your friends to subscribe to the Late Night Podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Hey you, it's Jason Bateman. Have you listened to Smartless? Smartless is the podcast that I host with my friends who are more like brothers. The super talented and funny Will Arnett and... Sean Hayes is JJ JJ well, why are you yeah. why are you whispering? Well, it, there's there's a psst. 
in the in the in the copy. But people are listening, so it's like they are listening. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. In each episode of Smartless, one of us reveals our mystery guest to the other two. What ensues is a genuinely improvised and authentic conversation. Our mystery guests span. Our mystery. We'll cut this out. Our mystery guests. All right, here we go. We got a lot of big famous people from different walks of life, and if you're yeah, a Wondery fan, then you're Emma gonna Stone, yeah. just you come and listen Tyson. to it. Yeah. We're on Wondery right now, and you can listen uh, to us. And no matter what you're doing, you're at the gym or you're in the car, just listen yeah. to the podcast. Sean, tell them where they can find it. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Bye. 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 